hello everybody and welcome to the show that we like to call Let's Talk About Thrones. It's me, Jenny Josephson. It's um, some guy who I'm not sure what name he's going by. Would you care to share? Well, I'm <laughs> going to be claiming myself to be Sir Richard of, I think it was River Run last time we spoke. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Weird things are happening in that part of the in that part of Westeros, I got to say. But uh, you're probably safe. Uh, and uh, Sir Anthony of the um, Frozen Tundra. That would be me. How is it going for you? Um, I I am doing well. I'm enjoying the show and I'm excited about season seven. Yeah, this is really fun. We have finally reached the season where all of your patience is rewarded. Oh. Um <laughs> In so many ways. Oh, oh my. Okay. Um, uh, so, Richard, I just want to say that all this time I've been promising you and promising you that it's going to ramp up. It's going to ramp up. It's And then even when it's, once it started, we got past season three and it started ramping up, I kept telling you, it's going to ramp up. It's going to ramp up. And here we are, season seven. And I have to ask, is it still ramping up? Oh, my God. I, I swear, I feel like enough in these two episodes happened. We're going to talk about 701 and 702. Enough happened in these two episodes to kind of feel like half a season from years past. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, there there was there's there's hardly any development. It's all impactful. It's all story. It's all here you go, here you go, here you go. Um I loved it. I was excited. I didn't realize how excited I was until the first season scene of season seven opened up. And it's one of my favorite scenes of the show ever. And I'm like, wait, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. So uh, we start in the Riverlands and after a long break and you didn't have to take a long break, but when we watched this the first time we did. And so what was super confusing <laughs> was after we saw at the end of last season, Walder Frey get his throat slit. Well, there's Walder Frey all over again, uh, talking to his many, many average-looking sons. Clearly, clearly just, you know, a flashback, right? Right, yeah, it must be a weird flashback. They do those on Game of Thrones, especially, right? Especially with this is a season opening with a cold opener. Yes, so right. and after they don't and do I that think, all the time. Yeah, I think it was like a four month extra time frame or three month extra time frame. We had to wait for the season to start. So it was already under auspicious circumstances, just meta wise. And now we open with a cold open and we have Walder Frey, who's dead, but not uh, th this has to be something weird going on. Yeah. So Walder Frey is like, I'm going to do something totally out of character. And thank you which already these guys should have been running for the hills. But I guess they were dumb enough to think that their weird, awful father was happy about them for some reason. So he orders some wine. It's the best wine from the ABBA. But <laughs> he tells his latest wife, like, he's not going to waste any wine. I'm a damn woman. And fine. So that's in character, at least. Uh, so then he thanks them, but the thank you starts to go really weirdly wrong, right? Yeah. And he just details like, good job cutting the throats and stabbing a pregnant woman and, you know, killing someone who was a guest under your house and all that stuff. And they're like, this is weird. By this point, I and think he I hear someone going, <coughs> right. <coughs> yeah. So as it turns out, they're coughing because they've been 
poison. Imagine that. We've never seen that happen before on this show. That's right. And Walder, Frey, it's not a flashback. It's faceless man magic. Walder rips off his face and it's Arya Stark. And she says, well, Walder says, leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. And whoosh, the thing comes off. There's Arya Stark. She spares the wives and she says, the North remembers. Tell them winter came for House Frey. Which, great. And then that's the best thing she does all episode because bizarrely she then runs into Ed Sheeran and they just, (laughs) I don't understand the point of this scene other than maybe to try to recall Arya's humanity. You tell me. (laughs) I was kind of fascinated by this too. Yeah, Yeah, I want to hear your side, Richard. This is one where, first of all, you have parties meeting in transit and some of them are clearly the guard of some sort or militia of some sort, but everybody is hospitable. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I don't understand. This is not how people encounter each other on the road in this land. People are threatened by each other. You don't sit down and offer your food and break bread and tell them, oh, yeah, I'm on my way down south because I'm going to go kill the queen. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a bizarre conversation. But what was interesting to me about it is that this is one of the first moments where I felt like we got to see not necessarily a lighter side of Arya, but one where she gets to relax a little bit, just a little bit. She's still her, but... She's a little bit less tense than she's been, oh, I don't know, for the last five years. Yeah. Right. This, to me, is a scene where I think it shows more the humanity of the war versus just Arya because it shows this small group of Lannister soldiers heading north on a mission they don't really believe in. They're going to go guard the twins because there's crazy stuff happening up there, which kind of tells you, okay, well, the world knows that Arya, well, that someone killed the phrase. Okay. And they're sitting around and they're kind of, they're singing and they're enjoying themselves. Like it's not a big deal. Like they think they've, you know, they don't think they're going to be challenged. And then they're disarmed even further by this girl going through the forest, even though she's armed, they're kind of just in disbelief just as much as she is. And then when she tells them, well, I'm going to go kill the queen, they just still, they're like, yeah, that's silly. You're, you're just a girl. And they laugh it off. And I think there's something here that has to show that Arya sees the humanity of other people versus just hating all Lannisters. Like she learns the stories. This guy's missing his wife and hasn't met his own child that was born after he left. And you know, this guy over here, he, he has other aspirations. So it kind of grounds her in that humanity. Whereas she's not just this complete killer. And this is about the only time you see that that's not related directly to her family. Yeah. It's like um, bringing someone back after a traumatic right. event, you yeah. know, because you could argue that Arya had not the most traumatic event, but the longest and farthest away and the most homesick yeah. potential, you know? Right, right, right. Like, like she's been the farthest. On a meta aspect, this was a, a birthday gift to Maisie Williams because she'd always wanted to meet Ed Sheeran and they surprised her by having him on set as one of the minstrels. Yeah. Really? That's kind of cool. I, I was wondering, like, why is he in this? I didn't realize that that was him at the time because I'm not really up on, you know, not hip to the kids' music, the kids' things <laughs> these days. But 
I, I knew that he was on the show at some point in time. So when you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And, and this was really this was kind of the, the first step in her travels. You said that this is all she really ends up doing in this episode. But we see her further yeah. travels in the second yeah. episode, too. So the next time you see her, I believe... Is it the end of the Crossroads of Bots? Yeah, yeah where everybody knows yeah. your game <laughs> of Thrones. And she meets up with an old friend, Hot Pie, who is delightfully happy. Hot Pie makes pies. Yep, yep. I think the key here with this whole, I mean, yeah, she finds out that Rob Stark is king of the north and blah, no, blah, blah, no. blah, blah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, she's not looking for him when she goes there, even though that's the last place she saw him. She's basically just stopping and having some food, and he notices her and comes to her. So, yeah, it's not like she was there to connect or anything. It's just like, oh, wow. And he clearly wants to right. connect, and she's just interested in consuming food. And oh, by the way, can I have a lot of a drink? Well, right. what's really great about that scene, she's like, yeah, I've been making pies lately. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I didn't even realize the significance of that yeah. when she said it, and now I Fry get pie. it. So that was cool. <laughs> Fry pie. <laughs> <laughs> so he, you know, after he talks about his secret recipe and all that, because that's the complication of his life, he ends up telling her that. John is alive and has been leading the troops up at the North, and he's now the King of the North. And her face, man. I literally had goosebumps when she learned that. That was such a friggin' yep, cool moment. Because it was like her face came alive in an emotional way. Really? Again, the face acting yeah. on this show is amazing. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's just incredible. Yeah. So she gets the update. She goes into, like, you don't know where she's going exactly. Well, you know she's going north because the men that were going south went the other way. Yeah, there's like this little throwaway line that if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't even caught it. But then they mentioned they're going to King's Landing and she turns and goes the other way. So you know she's going back north. Right. So that's exciting. And then... She's in a snowy forested area. She's by a fire. And she is surrounded by wolves, which is a problem. Unless your pack leader <laughs> of that wolf pack is your own dire wolf, Nymeria. Yep. What'd you think about this meeting? <sighs> you know, I am always a sucker for the scenes with the animals and with their wolves. And I think they played this off so, so well. She manages to connect with her and to basically, you know, fend them off. But she also tries to get her to come on her trek to the north. And Namira is not having any of it. Yeah. So you see... The scene where, again, amazing face acting, Arya shows her kind of disappointment and then her understanding, and then the wolves disappear. But 
wow, that was such a cool friggin' scene. And I know there's symbolism there from watching the after show that I didn't quite get about her being wild. And so she has to understand how also now so is her wolf that she sent mm-hmm. away. And what could she expect? But I, I thought that was a beautiful scene, an amazing scene. And again, showing what an incredible actress she is. The line that she has at the end of it is, that's not you. And I remember when this episode came out, a lot of people were like, oh, that wasn't Nymeria because she, she says, that's not you. That's what I thought, too, until I watched it. Yeah, what she means by that is, that's not your way. That's not what you're here to do. That's not your your mission. It's not that it's not Nymeria. It's just, Nymeria has changed. She's no longer the the little puppy that wants to run along Arya's side. She's now a pack leader, and she has her own pack, and she's doing her own thing. And this is kind of almost a courtesy visit, like, hey, I'm I'm around, but I'm going away now. And... This has implications because I want to know how this turns out in the books because remember in the books we deviated a little bit because when Arya is blind, I believe she's warging into Nymeria during that time and that was not included in the show. So I'm wondering how this is going to change when the books come out, if they ever come out, um, how this particular scene is going to play out in, in that fashion because there's more of a connection there in the books than there was in the show. Well, if there was ever a time to be able to warg into a wolf, I would say the Battle of the Army of the Dead might be one. I don't know. (laughs) If winter shows up, it might be a problem. You might want to be able to warg into a wolf, I'm just saying. Anyway. Speaking of people who do that. Oh, do you want to talk about him or do you want to talk about? I feel like there's like 30 seconds of unnecessary Brandon here. Give or go. So Brandon's above the wall and they let him through the wall. And he shows off his spooky ass. I'm everywhere, pal. And that's it. That's all we see of him. Sometimes you just got to get through the wall. Uh, what's the point? What's the point? There were some White Walkers that were making their move, too. I guess we should mention that. They reminded us that, oh, there are White Walkers coming at the wall. Like, we didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ed lets them through, which is important. Like, you can't just say, oh, they crossed the wall. There are people at the wall. You have to know how it happened. All right. Can I talk about Sander Clegane really quickly? Do it. Yes. Okay, so it's still in the Riverlands. And Sandor Clegane had that weird thing at the end of last season with uh, Ian McShane from Deadwood. I don't know why. Just something about his humanity. Fine. And he it ends up with the Brotherhood Without Banners last season. And this is this weird group of people that in the books, and I won't say what it is, just had way more purpose. They are in this show, for the moment, like annoyingly purposeless. however there are similarities to other characters but they arrive at this farmhouse where basically Arya and he had like stolen from them and the father and the daughter that they stole from killed themselves so they wouldn't starve to death so it's like hello consequences as soon as they were there I knew where they were yeah yeah Yeah, especially with the with with the hound's facial expressions again because he he goes from being angry and then he sees the house and his face, it's not fear, it's, I dare say, regret? Yeah. But his whole tone changes and it's like, oh, that's where they are. Like something is happening to Sandor Clegane that is interesting. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So then he goes and actually tries to do the right thing 
uh, and buries them. And he's sort of developing a relationship with Beric Dondarrion. And he keeps saying, like, why the hell do you get keep getting resurrected? And Beric's like, I don't know. Also, side note, Beric Dondarrion, the actor, has literally the best voice right. I have ever heard. I'm like, whatever, hmm. man. That voice is incredible. It's smooth and gravelly at the same time. Just like, where'd that come from? Who are you? What Can I follow your army? Like, <laughs> just incredible. So he has uh, Sandor Clegane look into the fire, which for the Hound is no joke, right? Like the Hound has a mortal fear of fire. Mm -hmm. But then he actually does see a castle right at the edge of the sea. And a mountain that looks like an arrowhead. And like, you know, by the way, a giant army of the dead. Mm -hmm. So that is a scary thing. And then it, I don't know, like the next thing you see is he's trying to bury the bodies of the father and the daughter and Beric comes out and helps him. And he tries to like say a prayer, but really he just ends up saying like, you know, you guys deserve better. Yeah. So you're seeing some sort of version of the redemption of Sandor Clegane or the attempt. Seems like regret of some sort, yeah. right? Like he feels bad that this happened after the fact. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's an interesting development. And at least he, Sandor Clegane, there are Game of Thrones is like a very value added show. Like there can be characters that you're just like, I don't care. What are you doing? Why are you here? And then all of a sudden you add a character to that mix and they become infinitely more valuable and interesting. Yep. And we learned a lot here because we learned that, that Sandor Clegane, the Hound, and um, Beric Dondarrion knew each other back in the day. Yeah. And Beric is like, yeah, I remember fighting uh, alongside or against you or whatever. And the Hound's like, you were worthless then. You're worthless now. Why do you keep getting saved? Remember when we first start started last season, the Hound was in, at a monastery in the middle of nowhere building you know, with a bunch of despots, like building a, a, a monastery, trying to live a, a quiet life, getting these lessons on faith and things like that, that he didn't necessarily even want, but he wasn't, he didn't like push him away. Like this is a changed man. He's growing into, a, a, you know, the Hound 3.0 again, you know? Yeah. And, like, it's really interesting. It's, like, take them away from the Lannisters. I, I can't speak for the, the, the mountain. But, like, you take Sander Clegane away from the Lannisters, to whom he's, like, basically, he's a vassal thereof. And he gets to be himself in a way that he hasn't. And I think that's really interesting. So Sandor Clegane is slowly growing. Mm -hmm. He was already one of my favorite characters in this development between last season and this season just really adds in so much more to his character. It's just right. great. And it is nice to see these characters redeemed because so far all they've done is actually sell a kid into slavery and be deprived of their literal best role that exists in the book. That's a huge shocker. That's not at all in this series. And that's all we can say about it. Yeah. Um, just in case. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. It's too late. But like it, it, it is a real gut buster and it doesn't exist. So on our little spinning trip around Thronesville, where would you like to go next? <laughs> you have exactly two choices, three choices. 
Four choices. So many choices. There are choices. There are, <laughs> there are lots of choices. God damn, this episode's long. Okay, let's go to Winterfell. Well, it's not that it's long, it's that it's dense. Again, we're, we're past the fluff. There's nothing, no fluff left. All important things are happening. Okay, so we're at Winterfell, and little Jon Snow, he's five feet tall, and he's in charge of a whole bunch of angry men who just sit around the living room in the dining room drinking beer and making commentary and telling them what to do. Welcome to the North. Like, literally, the, the, the old bunch of geezers at a table in the North takes up half of the season. It's <laughs> ridiculous. So uh, John's standing there trying to look kingly. And he's like, look, we need dragon glass. It's more valuable than gold because you can kill White Walkers with it. He sends Tormund and the Wildlings to Eastwatch by the Sea, which is, by the way, a castle at a wall by the ocean. Hmm. Then he wants all boys to be trained. And then he also says all the women should be trained. And old man Glover is like, no. And then now there's Lady Leona Mormont. And she's basically like, I'm going to train. You're a pussy. Love her. Love <laughs> That's her. That's it. That's what she says. It's fantastic. Then more complicated things happen in which basically, you know, they're preparing for what if the walkers get past the wall. Then what's going to happen is they will come to the castles of the Umbers and the Karstarks. Mm -hmm. Right? Now you get the who's a leader and who's out for vengeance moment between Sansa and John. And look, these two spent <laughs> most of last season very happy that the other existed. Right. But only now do you get the sense that like Sansa's maybe not entirely happy with what's going on uh, or doesn't agree. And also is not shy about saying she doesn't agree in front of an entire room of people, all of whom are taller than Jon Snow. <laughs> she's taller than Jon Snow right this is a thing right. so uh, basically she wants the Umbers and the Karstark stripped of their castles and she really pushes it and pushes it and pushes it and then Jon's like we cannot punish children and then as like a little lesson because like she's not thinking about this he makes the 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 lord and lady of those castles, Ned Umber and Alice Karstark, stand up. They're Who are children? They're children. Yeah, they're they're more Liana's peers than uh, than John. Yeah. yeah, and and it's sort of like a subtle fuck you to Sansa, which is like, well, what are you gonna do? Like kill children? Like what kind of precedent does that set as like the lords of this land? Yeah. And so, you know, obviously how excited is Alice Karstark and Ned Umber, and they affirm their loyalty. And so then John's like, yo, later, where they're walking the parapets there, uh, John's like, you can't do that. I'm very small, and these other men are very tall, and you can't <laughs> question me in front of them because I'm short. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. <laughs> and they have like a little bit of a philosophical back and forth. John's fault is always the same. He's like, I want to protect my sister. And she's like, dude, I don't need protecting. I want you to take my advice. And that's essentially their divide. But he's also, as he always does, he's trying to do the right thing by 
the people who are supporting him. Now, we know that being noble hasn't worked well in the past, but I have a sneaking suspicion it may just work for John. We don't know yet, but it may work. Right. Sansa even calls that out. She's like, uh, our father was, was a good man. It didn't save him. Yep. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Now, the other thing I thought was interesting, Jenny, is that we see Peter through all of uh-huh. this, just kind of watching. Um, little Peter Baitish, and I'm standing in the corner, and I'm making eyes at Sansa, because I really am a horner. Um, <laughs> anyway. Wow, that was amazing. I, I do my best when I'm really tired. <laughs> But yeah, he's there like you can he's literally a wedge, right? And here's the amazing thing. I don't know, was it in this episode when yes. So outside Brienne of Tarth and Podrick Payne are fighting with some Yep. Mhm. She's training him. Yeah, but wait. This is the first time you've seen Brienne smug. Hold though. on. I'm going to blow your minds, you guys. This is not done with Sansa <laughs> and Peter. I don't know if you noticed but as they're walking and talking, what do they pass in the background? Did you see it? What or whom? What? I did not see it because I noticed Peter, but I didn't notice a specific thing. They walked past a ladder, a big, fat ladder. And I'm going to remind you now that at the very beginning of this series, one Peter Baelish said to, I forget who he said it to. Varys. Thank you, Varys. Um, Chaos is a ladder. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. It's not the last time you're going to hear it. So I just, that was something I caught on the rewatch where I was like, hot damn, they're walking past a ladder. Mm. Anyway. I didn't even know. I might have been writing notes at that time, but I didn't even notice. It was so fast. And I was like, I, I literally did that thing where I punched Matt, not hard, in the arm. And I was like, it's a ladder. It's a ladder. It's a ladder. And- <laughs> That was fun. So they're talking and Sansa is really at this point like just whatever, dude. Right? They're they're having a, a sibling spat. No, no, no. I'm talking about um Peter Baelish and Sansa. Okay. Yeah. And I'm basically saying oh. like she's had enough. Yeah. She's on to him. She's like she doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He says, Do you know what you want? And she says, at, at this moment, peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah. Like, step <laughs> off, you dum-dum. I mean, like, and Peter Baelish, how confident, like, oh, the confidence of a white man in Westeros. Because he is just like, I have, I, I'm fine. I'm still in charge. I'm this, I'm that. Fine. Yeah, you're in charge, buddy. Yeah. And then Brienne shows up to break up that conversation. Right. She just gives that look that's like, time to come in for dinner, Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they she's like why do you still need this schmo and he's like well all the armed knights that actually won the battle and Brienne was like yeah good point so yeah that's winterfell for now oh but let's carry it through right all right because there's there's other stuff going on john gets a message from cersei yes and it's funny because that's not the only message he gets it seems like Everybody wants him to come and bend a knee. Yes. So we we have a message from Cersei who expects him to come and bend a knee. And that means basically give in and acknowledge that I have the throne now and I'm in control and you're nothing. 
and not an hour later, well, episode-wise, as he's talking about the need to go to Dragonstone because there's dragon glass there, he ends up getting a message from Tyrion. Tyrion's basically telling him to come down to meet Daenerys. He leaves out to bend a knee, but, you know, we, yeah. we know that she said to bend a knee. Yep. And so, essentially, obviously as the major power in the North, who's calling himself the King of the North, uh, Jon Snow is in demand, one way or the other. And so then, he makes what can only be described as a deeply GD unpopular decision. <laughs> it's amazing how it plays out, though, because right at the peak of getting everyone riled. Mm-hmm. So he, he receives three letters, the one from Sansa, the one from Sam, who we haven't mentioned quite yet, um, the same there's Dragonglass under Dragonstone, and the one from Tyrion saying, hey, come to Dragonstone to meet Daenerys. And those three put together kind of formed this little speech he has prepared for the, those angry men in the Hall in the North. Yeah. Essentially, he's like, guys, I know you just made me the king. I know there's a lot happening. I'm going to leave you now. No, no, you can't do that. You, you're you banding your people. Even his future potential bride, Lady Leanna Mormont, <laughs> is like, yo, you can't do that. We need the king in the north in the north. And everybody's like, nothing good happens when you go south and all this stuff in which they're And the captain correct. should never be on the away team. That's right. Ever. Except but every they time are. that yeah. Kirk broke that. They always are. Yep. And he has a good point that it can only be him. And Sansa's like, well, who the stinking blinking hell is going to be in charge around here? And he turns to her and he says, you. And that is a bit of a surprise for Sansa. It is. But nobody else seems to have any problem with it. No. Right. And that's an interesting moment. That is like such a moment of trust for her, knowing they come at this from very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, watching time, it's just you know, an hour later, but in Westeros time, this is a couple days. It's like four or five days where after they have that little argument about her saying, you need to listen to me and him saying, you don't have the experience. He's reconsidered. Yeah. And, and now, well, if I can't do it, you're going to do it. And it, it, it basically, it's like, yes, you were right. It's him, him confirming you were right. I need to listen to you. And this is me giving you that trust and giving you that responsibility. And now you, who he thinks should be rightfully leading the North anyway, is now going to lead the North in his absence. Yeah. And also, honestly, at this point, technically, she's the only true Stark around that anybody knows about. Right. Okay. So then there's some other business here where Peter Baelish goes to try to work his jiggly mojo on Jon Snow Two very clearly telegraphed effect. Like, you know, Jon Snow is not going to be like, oh, I think you seem reliable. Um, <laughs> well, they're down in the crypts. And, one, and the first thing that Jon says to him is you shouldn't be down here. Yeah. It's like, this is like, no, come on. Well, well, I haven't had a chance to speak with you in person. So I wanted to remedy that. And John doesn't reply. And Peter starts talking about how much he loved Caitlin and how much he loves Sansa and this and that. And. John doesn't take it very well. John goes for the throat, literally. 
And how is that a surprise to Peter? I mean, come on. What the fuck was he expecting? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part about this is later on when you see him coming out of the crypts, he's like a background character, but you can see him come out of the crypts. He's still holding his throat. Right. right. It was not a gentle pinning to the wall. It wasn't a a love choke. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I just, this seemed like a real misstep for Peter. And I didn't understand what he was doing because he's so calculated and he has kind of been one move ahead all along just waiting for his time. And this just didn't seem like the right conversation at the right time for him. Now, yes. And in the Peter Baelish universe, the reason why Peter Baelish has success is because everyone is just as slimy as he is, but in a different way. And now he's in a new environment where that may not hold as true. And he he may or may not be a step behind on the way things work in this part of the North. Good point. He flourished in the land of lies and treachery. He's floundering in the world of honor and trust. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good point. So Good point. Um, if nothing else, this is, this is a lesson for Peter versus anything to do with John. Yeah. It's Peter's growth moment or like, you know, John is not, John is not an avenue Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. So, next. Let's cover the Citadel real quick since we already talked about Sam. Okay. Sam Wise Tarly, Samwell Tarly in Old Town, which Old Town looks pretty cool. And I would like a whole series called Old Town. And he's just like cleaning chamber pots and whatever and gagging a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Much like Harry Potter. He really wants to go in the restricted section of the library. Yeah, but can can we just call out for a second the 80s style montage of him doing the drudgery of work that he has to do? Because honestly, I don't think we knew this either, right? Like yeah. we're learning what his job is and it kind of sucks. He's emptying chamber pots. He is feeding people. He is caring for the sick. He has to do literally the shit jobs. Yep. But in all those shit jobs, he gets to carry books and put them away. Which is exciting. Which is the only part about it he has any hope for. <laughs> it is exciting. I certainly hope that he's washed his hands before doing so. <laughs> yeah, th- th- this is the classic, oh, you want great power? Well, you need to go through great humility first. Yeah. Right. And, and he does. Now, an interesting thing is happening in which we get a new character, Archmaester Ebrose, who is played by the one and only fantastic Jim Broadbent. He's an amiable chap, and he is uh, dissecting a corpse, and they're talking about what Sam has seen in the North, and the Archmaster's like, that's nice. I like this scene because of these people that are rooted in fact, like you have to have written things, and, and it needs to be multiple sources, and he he's not decided about this whole the dead or walking thing, but then the fact that Sam won't let it go and he's absolutely convicted that this is what's going on. He's like, yeah, I believe you because if it wasn't a real thing, you would have let it go by now. Yeah. Like <laughs> the subjective interpretation of a possibly delirious experience <laughs> yeah. is what grounds him into the, into falling one way or the other. 
And also, probably he was getting reports from other people. Like, they get all the maester things, and they get the maester things from the north. But they're like, oh, well, it's fine. The wall will hold them. Yeah, the wall's there. No problem. Can I tell you what caught me about the scene? Was this scene reminded me so much of the scene where Peter Baelish talks about his road to success Mm -hmm. while two of his whores are going at it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that is distracting the viewer's primary attention. And you're trying to listen to the conversation. In this scene, we have this autopsy or dissection of a human and they're pulling organs out and weighing them, and there's just blood and guts everywhere. And all I can see and think about is, oh my God, this is horrible. I can't believe he's having to do this. Oh, right, but there's this conversation going on about does he believe him or not? My husband calls that as a screenwriter putting a scene at the ice capades. In which if you have a scene of two people talking and it's important, you have to make sure something really interesting is going on in the background, so it's not just two people sitting at a dining room table and talking. Which is interesting because it feels like the conversation's happening in the background, but that's the thing that's important. Yeah, it's it's really a pay attention moment. Like if you're paying attention, if you're if you're feeling the show or whatever, you're going to catch what they're what's actually going on. But if you're not, it's just a scene where they're pulling what looks like real body parts out of a fake cadaver. Um, (laughs) so let's not downplay the production value of the organs they were pulling out of there. Like it wasn't lit very well, but it sure looked pretty real to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So Sam steals some books like any good Hogwarts student and a really neat (laughs) thing happens in which Gilly is also learning to read. So she is asking him about the book and then they make the discovery that there is a mountain of obsidian, a.k.a. Dragonstone or Dragonglass, under the island of Dragonstone. And so Sam writes to his BFF bestie, Jon Snow, which we've seen the other side of. And then there's only one more important thing that happens, which is Sam is confronted in their like the sicky sick section by uh, a guy whose arm is almost completely covered in grayscale. I wonder who that could be. Who could that be? And the figure nobly asks, has the Dragon Queen arrived yet? And Sam's like, oh, you freak, I don't know. And then the guy pulls his arm back. Interesting on this one, he doesn't say Daenerys Targaryen. He says Daenerys Stormborn. Yeah, yep. He doesn't want to give away who he is and what he knows. But it's enough for anybody that knows to reply. So it's, Yeah. yeah. So good, good tactics there, Jora, Jora Grayscale. And obviously it's getting worse. So for whatever reason, Sam takes to Jora and really wants to help him. He's trying to convince this. He's a Grand Maester, right? Mm-hmm. You know, can we help him? Is What options are there for him? And he says, there are none. This is too late. It's too progressed. And we see now that it's all over his body. There's no hope for him. He maybe has six months until his brain is dead, and then he's going to live another 10 years as, you know, one of these zombie things. Stoneman. Yeah. Sam's like, no, 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 nope, not good enough. I, I'm i sure there's a way. Do you know why? He's like, Jura Mormont. 
I know a Mormont. He doesn't say much more, but then later tells Jorah, I knew your father. I was there when he died. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, honorable people meeting. It's nice. Yep. Can I just say, this was probably the only scene in everything that we've seen so far where I had to not watch the screen the entire time during the scene. Oh, it's Sam's pulling the the grayscale skin off of Jorah's chest. He's literally cutting the skin off of his chest. It's like a flesh chisel. Jorah is trying not to scream. I, I could not watch it. I, I, I would look back to see if it, nope, not over yet. It was awful. I mean, and credit to them for making it so convincing, but it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. I again I the Sam's got a flesh chisel that he's he's carving Jorah's skin off with and it's pussy and it's gross and it's it yeah, it was so bad. Fle- by the way, flesh chisel is my megadeth cover band. <laughs> <laughs> that joke never I never tire of that joke ever. All right, Jenny, you're you're in the driver's seat. Where are we turning next? <laughs> Am I though? Okay, we're going to Dragonstone because this is a remarkable scene. Because I don't know if you guys noticed, but there literally is no dialogue. It's the last scene of the first episode. Daenerys, she lands. Yep. They walk. She touches the ground. She walks up these insane stairs. The dragons are kind of doodly boobling around. She rips down a banner. She looks at the throne. <laughs> she walks right past the throne. She goes into the chamber of the painted table. She looks at like what happened when Stannis was last year. At which point I'm like, holy shit, that's where Stannis was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That island is hereditarily belongs to the Targaryens, but Stannis is dead. So nobody came back for it. And the first words that you hear in this quite long scene is Daenerys turning to Tyrion and remarking, shall we begin? (laughs) She didn't say it like that. Yeah. Tyrion is standing right there and she just looks at the table and kind of, shall we begin? Like, just matter of fact. And can I say that this is the first time we've really seen Dragonstone fleshed out? Because before now, we saw the map room, we saw the throne room, and we saw the dungeons. And the beach. Yeah, and, and the beach. But we didn't see that long, it's like half a mile staircase. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, they have a lot of stairs to climb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and if you're going to attack Dragonstone from the beach, your prospects aren't looking very good. Because you're out in the open. There's, there's enough of a wall to keep you from falling off the edge, but not enough to hide behind. Yeah. Yep. It's it's amazing. Yep. And it's fully fleshed out. They they detail the whole island. Like they actually found an island somewhere in the world to to superimpose this on and it's it's amazing. Before we leave this conversation, why was Stannis there? Like I I missed that apparently. It never occurred to me that Stannis was in somebody else's castle. Because the Targaryens were toast, right? They chased him out. They murdered all of them except for Danny and her goofball brother. And the king, Robert Baratheon, gave the spoils of war to other people, including his brother Stannis. And that's what Stannis uh, chose okay. because right. he was a standoffish dick. So he chose the standoffish dick island. Would I have known that more if I had read the books? Because the fact that this is where Stannis was was like a holy shit moment for me. Yeah. It symbolizes a return to power for the Targaryens. It was cool. Liked it. Yeah. It was pretty cool. All right. 
where would you like to go next? Would you like to continue with Dragonstone or would you like to go to King's Landing? If I were to vote, I would continue with Dragonstone. But, you know. Anthony? Yeah, let's finish up Dragonstone. All right. So in the next episode, Dragonstone, they're standing in the painted table room. It's raining. Daenerys is impatient. She's like, why am I not already in King's Landing? What is wrong? I have three dragons. And basically, they're trying to talk her out of mass murder. Right. This is where she challenges Varys. Not just challenges. She like, they get into it. Yeah. Like, you served my father, didn't you? Yes. You served Robert? Yes. And now you serve me? Like, where do your allegiances lie? And it basically comes out, this is the first time he's really said it, but his allegiances lie with the people. And as long as she's a just ruler, that means her. But if not, then he's going to stay with the people versus any monarch. And if you have believed anything that he has told Tyrion and anything that he's said along the way, that totally aligns Mm -hmm. with what we know of him and what motivates him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that didn't surprise me at all. In fact, as Danny is describing, you know, then you followed this person, then you followed that. And each time I'm thinking, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense because that would not have been good for the people or that would have been good for the kingdom. Yeah. So that passes. But she also says, P.S. Also, if you betray me, I'll burn you alive. And Varys is like, totes cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and he basically lays it down. He's like, you know what? Have Grey Worm cut my head off. That's fine. Yeah. Or let me be loyal to you and I will follow you to the end. Mm-hmm. And, and she says, uh, make me a promise. If I'm ever doing something against the people or whatever else, you tell me that it's going wrong. Tell me what the people think. Tell me what they feel. And he says, yeah, that yes, I can swear that. That got to my heart a little bit. I loved that. Because that right there differentiates Danny from her father. Just that she actually cares. And this is what takes Danny away from wanting to just go in and slaughter everyone and, and claim her throne. This is the moment where, oh, yeah, the people. I need to worry about the people. I'm not trying to win a throne. I'm trying to win a kingdom. Yeah. And that's good. It's also, I believe, in this scene where Tyrion reminds her that you don't want to rule over a land of ashes. You want to rule over a land of people. And that comes up again shortly after they are welcoming Melisandre. Lady gets around. (laughs) Yes. So Melisandre shows up and she's looking, you know, like, uh, hey, how you guys doing? You you, you need a red priestess? I'm thinking she looks pretty damn good for just basically getting shunned from the north and having to travel there. She's looking really damn good. Right. And to give her credit, these people, the, the northers, kicked her out, but she's not against them. She basically is like, look, you're probably the prince who is promised, which is like the Jesus Christ of this scenario. And granted, I thought that maybe it was Stannis before, and then maybe I thought it was John before, but no, it's you. It's but you. it could be John, 
Which is what Miss Undei explains to Daenerys is that right. High Valerian has no gender for prince or princess, which, you know, rock and roll. There's a slight departure here, though, because she doesn't tell Danny that she's the prince or princess that was promised. Yeah. She says she's she's there to help the prince that was promised, but she doesn't know who that is. Yeah. So she does take a, a, take a step back from proclaiming things and just wants is just offering help instead of trying to convince people that they're mythical figures. Yeah. Now, okay. All right. interestingly enough, she is the first person to say like, Hey, maybe you guys should connect over coffee, you and Jon Snow. And then Tyrion steps up and says, yeah, I think you guys really should connect. Um, I'll give you his email because like, I think you guys have a lot in common then Danny's like, well, all right, I'll get his email. And, um, you know, we can invite him here for intimate, um, you know, discussion as long as he bends that knee. Yeah. And that is not the last time you're going to hear that phrase. Jeez. Yeah. And seriously, I was a little bit disappointed by that because I felt as if we had just gone through all of this development where Daenerys understands how important it is to get everybody on board, but she wants Jon Snow to show his deference. Yeah. And I just don't understand where that was coming from. Well, she's got to get somebody to bend the knee. Yeah. Otherwise, she won't be the <laughs> queen. <laughs> She'll be the, you know? the queen of the small council. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So speaking of which... That's a really good transition, Anthony. Well, it's not now that you called it out, but she ends up with the War Council, which is uh, the small council of Varys and Tyrion, and Old Lady from Dorne and Old Lady from uh, 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 Alaria, Yara, and Lady Tyrell. Yeah, uh, uh, was it Yara, uh, uh, Alara, and Olena? I see a trend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, so she's talking to them and they're trying to drop war plans. And of course, all three of them are now like, well, let's go attack. Let's just burn it down. Go and, kill them. Yep. Um, then she explains that she has a different plan. And a plan is to send the Dornish and, uh, well, the Dornishmen back to Dorne, take their armies and surround King's Landing, have the Tyrells use their army to surround King's Landing because a foreign force wouldn't win the, over the lords. And then take the foreign force, i.e. the... Unsullied and go ta- attack Casterly Rock, the seat of the real power in Westeros. Yeah. So this is where everybody starts making plans. This is probably the first war plan described in this series that I actually understood as they were laying it out. And maybe it's because we're six years in now and I finally understand the lay of the land a little bit better. But as he was talking about this, as Tyrion described this plan, which clearly he concocted for them. I mean, this has the strategy of him all over it. Mm -hmm. It was one of these things where, like, everybody looked on and they're like, yeah, okay, we're in. Well, they're not used to people having plans. (laughs) (laughs) They're used to the, yeah. the, the, the let's just get it done way that has barely worked at all. But yeah, so he he comes with a plan that's actually got strategy to it and got a, a purpose in mind and, and has thought about consequences and everybody's on board because 
again, this is the first time they've had a real plan. Well, but is everyone on board? Um, I don't know. I don't get the feeling that Elena yeah. is on board because she has ulterior motives, right? It's not motives. It's sort of like um, everybody leaves the room and Lady Elena stays. And basically Elena says, like, look, all these clever men and their clever advice, you're not a sheep. They're the sheep. You're a dragon. Right. So Elena's basically saying, like, you can listen to these people up to an extent, but if you really want to survive, you can really only listen to yourself and who you are. Right. She says, you're a dragon. Be, Be a dragon. A dragon. Yeah. And that's big, you know. But then she's also bent on vengeance as well, because her basically her entire family has been wiped out by Lannister stupidity or ambition. She really didn't have a whole lot to lose here. She doesn't have a family or a lineage anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She has different motivations, I think. And I, I guess I looked at this and I thought, okay, but I feel like Danny is so close to that line of doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason. And I'm worried about her being pushed by forces that have ulterior motives. Well, luckily we get to see that play out. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. There's uh, one other thing. Uh, oh, sex. Yep. Yep. That happens. Good for them. <laughs> good for them. I think it's nice. Grey Worm and... Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Say goodbye. They don't want to say goodbye. They say goodbye the old fashioned way. Yeah. They kiss. They strip. Actually, she strips both of them. He reluctantly because he doesn't want her to see him. And they end up going at it with each other. Which is nice. Isn't that nice? Which is nice. There's a little look like after she convinces him to, to take his pants off, she pulls him down. She looks down. She looks back up at him. And there's like this knowing glance between the two yeah. like okay now that i know we're good with it let's move on we can make this work yeah and he makes it work he does what he has to do with the parts that he has yeah so good for them that's nice yep. and also finally a reward for people like me that have my preferences in viewing <laughs> and that's where we'll leave it until yeah. the after show x-rated game of thrones <laughs> so that pretty much wraps up two episodes worth of Dragonstone. Where on the spin of the dump dump da da dump dump would you like to go next? We have to cover the King's Landing stuff mm -hmm. because I feel like we've got to end on the big scene. Mm -hmm. So here we are in King's Landing, and Cersei is walking on a map. Which, I wish I'd had this map in season one. This was super helpful. What the hey? Like, oh, here's everybody here. Here's everybody over here. Here's where the south is. I didn't know where anything was until this map. I thought that was so and cool. isn't that the court where Arya was training? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I got the feeling that that was the space where Arya had been training for some reason. It looked like they were 
like she was having this thing commissioned now yeah. and repurposing that space. An arch is an arch is an arch is an arch. I did did not lose the symbolism between Danny getting into the map room at Dragonstone and Cersei having this map painted on her floor for the same purposes. I, I did, obviously. So Jamie, who's a linear thinker, Jamie Lannister, is basically like, look, uh, I don't think we're doing so well. There's no children, and we have a little bit of a problem. And Cersei's like, are you a dummy? Like, do you think I haven't thought of all the stuff that you're whinging about? Like, I have listened to our father for 40 years. I have learned some things. We need allies. And then the next the shot you see is a giant fleet of ships sailing into King's Landing. Not just any ships. No, yeah. these are the other half of the Ironborn fleet that weren't stolen by Yara and Theon, which are being captained by salty fuckboy Euron Greyjoy. Now, keep in mind that when, when Euron took control of the Iron, Iron Islands, he said, build me a thousand ships. Yeah, that happened real fast. Either that happened really fast or it kind of indicates how much time has passed since last we saw everyone. Yes, yes. But either way, now there's a ton of ships with the Greyjoy banners sitting in the harbor. Yes. And Jamie's like, this is not a good idea. Yes. And so Jamie's like, well, now someone else is in my way uh, in, in between me and my sister. And there's a little bit of horse trading in which Cersei is the horse. She basically says, like, no, go get me a gift. Well, he says he'll get her a gift and then she'll marry him or something. So... Yeah. That is being set up. She, so Euron's pleading this case to Cersei, and at one point he says, I'm better than anyone else that suited you, and then glances at Jamie, I have two good hands. And I thought that was just like, oh, so sly. Nope. Such a deep cut. And has word gotten that far? Well, he is standing there with a Gold golden hand. hand. Yeah. But clearly that suggests that he understands that they have a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's no longer even an open secret. It's just kind of like, whatever, it's there. So he's going to go get her a gift. And, you know, spoils of war, presumably. But at this point, we have no idea what that is. So we'll get back to that. that So whence we return to King's Landing, um, Cersei is basically addressing a bunch of noble... Uh, nobleman from the Reach, which is sort of like I would describe as like the Tyrell area, the middle ground, the golden where the, all the food comes from. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Grumpy Fart Randall Tarley, uh, Sam's father, and his um, son Dickon. <laughs> Rickon? And Dickon. Dickon. <laughs> I know what he's doing. <laughs> I got that a little late. So then Jamie goes out and like has like a real talk with Randall Tarley and is just like Randall Tarley's like, you guys are really bad. Like you cut people's throats at weddings and I really like Lady Olena. But Jamie's like, well, you swore an oath to this throne. And also blonde Cersei is preferable to a foreign army of Daenerys Targaryen and also will make you in charge of the whole South. So that was enough to win Randall Tarly and all of his armies over. So do we know that? Because I didn't leave that scene knowing 
a conclusion to that discussion. I left that scene with right. a conflicted Tarly. My sense is that if you uh, are offered the Warden of the South, you should take it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know of anybody that turns down a wardenship. Yeah. It's like okay. we're giving you the moon and the stars and the sun. Like we can't make you king because that would be disastrous to our dynasty. But we can give you the next best thing. We'll make you a warden. Yeah. Okay. Then we have one more scene in King's Landing where creepy Kyburn, who is also, I oh, got to yeah. say, profoundly useful, uh, is like, look, one of Daenerys' dragons was wounded by a spear, so they're not invincible. And then he unveils unveils the scorpion, which is basically a long-range crossbow, and says, we can do this. And the bolt that he fires from the scorpion pierces the skull of Balerion the dead. That was the dragon that the first Targaryen came over and conquered Westeros with. So this is going to set up some interesting conflict. There's always, whenever you have an impossible to, like Captain Marvel is a good example of this. When you have a super powered human or Superman, there's always got to be a kryptonite, you know, one way or another, you have to find that. And so that's what happened. So, yay, conflict. (laughs) And we've, uh, we got one more scene. Oh, this is like industrial light and magic quality sequence of scenes here. I know you say one more scene, but I felt like this was probably one of the best produced, most complex engagements that they have done, maybe short of that crazy scene where the White Walkers attacked the Wildlings. Hard home. Yeah. So... Please feel free to take on this scene because it's a lot of things happening. No, I I would actually like to hear how Richard took the scene in because it starts out really peaceful and ends up completely awry. It starts out with a lot of wine. (laughs) So you have the Dorn girls whining about who gets to kill whom. Mm. And then you have Alaria whining about not liking the wine. Mm -hmm. The next thing you know... Yara and Ilaria are about to go at it. They're about to become Yalaria. Don't do that. <laughs> Just don't do that. Elara? Yeah, they're about to <laughs> That is interrupted by an attack where Aho Euron Greyjoy attacks and boards the ship that they're on. Mm-hmm. All hell breaks loose for a scene that feels like 10 to 15 minutes. I don't know if it really is, but holy shit, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So there's so many different aspects of this. You have Euron and his like ruthlessness. He just comes in charging headfirst. He's the first to board. Like, he has no fear. You have the Sand Snakes in their situation. You have Theon... And then you have Theon's sister and Yara, and it's all intertwined, but it's very different outcomes for all four of them. Yes. Tons of fighting. Amazing fighting sequence. Just the production on this is phenomenal. I was blown away. Euron, crazy mental guy, is loving every minute of the evil and the pain that he is inflicting on everyone. He ultimately ends up killing all of the snake girls. Yeah, he, he kills two of them. Oh, I thought he killed three. Okay. He kills two. All he right. actually kills the 
not Alaria's daughter, the other two that weren't his daughter. Or weren't her daughter. Yeah. Okay. The Expendables. <laughs> and then I believe they capture Alaria. Mm-hmm. We don't have reason to believe that they kill her. Well, she actually says, just kill us. And they're like, no, we have other plans. He ultimately captures Yara and taunts Theon, trying to lure him to, come on, come on and get her. Come on and rescue her. You, you're her defender. Come and rescue her. Mm-hmm. And poor Theon's got a little case of frozen fear. Yeah, poor Theon is, uh, he's reeking a little bit. Yeah. But but before Euron does that, Theon is out there swinging a sword and fighting with the best of them. Yeah. Like, he's putting on a show. He's really, like, this is the first time you've seen Theon since Reek happened. And then he gets taunted by Euron, and you can see Theon slowly break, over the course of, like, 30 seconds, he breaks down and reverts to Reek. Like, you can you can just see it. The sad thing is that he probably does that because the consequences are so high. And because the consequences are so high, it's utterly tragic. Yeah. He basically sacrifices his sister and runs away. Yep. You can't lose the similarity between Ramsey Bolton and Euron Greyjoy at that moment either. Like the bold... Uh, auspacious, I'm not going to get hurt. You can come on and, and you do whatever you want. I'm controlling you. Feel came from both of them. And that had to have an effect on Theon. It's almost like seeing Ramsay again, right in the flesh, right in front of him. Yeah. And they both have the same kind of douche swagger. So it's under- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, except I don't feel like Theon has had that douche swagger. He's been very reserved. He's been subservient. He's been dedicated. So just seeing him kind of swinging and being out there was actually refreshing until he reverted again. Yeah. Yeah. So question. Yes. Mm -hmm. We see someone hanging from the bow of their lead boat. Was that Yara? No, it was the, I'm pretty sure it was the sand snakes. Yeah, it was the two sand snakes. One was speared, one was hanging. Okay. Yep. I mean, that's that's not a definitive answer. That's just my understanding yeah. that those were the two sand snakes that they killed. Yeah. Because remember, one one Euron killed by shoving a sword from gut to head, and the other one he choked on her own whip. So it would only make sense that those would be the two on the bow of the ship. So Euron Dickhead is then theoretically going back to Cersei with two gifts. Three, Yara, Alaria, and Alaria's daughter. Oh, Alaria's daughter. Forgot yep. about that. And okay. To people who killed Cersei's daughter. So yep. there we have it for two episodes of Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm sorry to report, Richard, that the next two episodes are just kind of boring and placeholdery. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> They're pretty. Everything's <laughs> awesome from here on out. Everything is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, buckle up. Uh, don't miss an episode. <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm all out of words to say. How hard was it for you to not watch the next episode, Richard? Oh, I totally wanted to dive in, but luckily I ran out of time. <laughs> I have a feeling that as we continue and get caught up to the end of this season, your your desire or your willpower to not watch the next episode is going to fade uh, dramatically to where I'm, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be fun to see if you can hold off the full time. So I had to run an errand right after I finished watching 
this episode. And as I was driving in the car, I was thinking to myself, I could totally see just watching the next five through. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy just watched the whole season all in one I was bang. It's like, I got the time. I'm never again going to be the person who didn't watch the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Jenny's driving rest of the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Anthony's going to tell you where you can find us, and I'm going to fade slowly into the darkness. If you have feedback for the show, you can reach us at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ethan Kane, E T H A N C A I N E. What about you, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther, and I just learned today, today, I just learned that I can actually connect my Twitter accounts in Twitter because I have a bunch of Twitter accounts. And I've been using third-party services to do this because I didn't think that I could actually do it in Twitter. So I am very excited to say that I will be Twittering from all my different accounts and you still only have to follow at Richard Gunther to get everything that's going on in my brain. (laughs) How about you, Jenny? I'm Jenny. I'm at infinitegain.co. (laughs) I updated my website and I'd like you to see it dun 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 very cool bye Jenny, you have to tell him we'll talk to him next time that we talk about Thrones. But you just did that. Okay, bye. R-I-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y.